0: your fire podcast content discussed on this podcast is general in nature please seek specific advice from qualified professionals now let's start with the quote of the week and so
1: managing the the community and the tribe that you're in making sure that you're a good member of that tribe that you're doing your part when you're around happy inspirational people that are successful it makes you feel better and you get inspired and if you act on that inspiration your life will be more fulfilled and it's not just inspirational in terms of financial success but in terms of doing difficult things whether it's running 100 miles it doesn't pay you a goddamn thing other than the 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 wealth of the knowledge that you can push yourself to such an extreme
2: good day guys welcome back to another friday wrap episode uh i mean i should call a segment and uh i think um i've been missing an action last week but uh good to be joining back again with both of my lovely co-hosts jazz and john how are we doing mate john
0: can go first oh well uh i'm i'm very well thank you uh, david and jazz <laughs> Good to be back best day of the week i mean friday was always the best day but if we, we get to uh Wag, we need happy. to
2: get our drinks back, mate. Seriously, like I reckon the uh, the drink segment was good at that time, so we should probably make it more of a recurring thing. What do you reckon, Jens? Uh,
1: yeah, Jens. Sure. Happy Friday, first of all. Um, you would never you, you would never turn down a good drink, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I get uh, my alcohol is you guys, anyways. Uh, I get excited seeing your faces. It's it's Friday. I, I get to be with my gay brothers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, it's always a uh, big boys' time, you know, on Friday afternoon when we uh, have a have a tackle at what's happening around the world, right? Um, and, and what's happening around the news, and you know, seeing some of the news around the around the globe, I have to say, I reckon we can all do it with a few drinks. Let's put it that way. It's just. Uh, <laughs> You know, but
1: what is um, happening around the world what's the what's the what
2: yeah there's a few things right so i think uh, first of all we'll probably talk about um in australia first um the rba um has this week announced that they're holding the rate first rate decision for may um still at 0.1 percent um indicated some of the key well some of the key things kind of says you know they they are they are going to keep the interest rate low um as is for at least for the next Three years, from the way I read it, um, at this point in time, as per the original promise. Even though the economy is recovering a lot better than uh, what everyone's kind of expecting, even much better than what they're expecting, um, and on that basis, um, you know, they will also decide. I think around July. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, around the July monetary policy meeting, that whether they will continue to do the printing, the bond, uh, the TFFs, and the bond buying uh, on that basis moving forward. So. Um, in terms of property I think they do also mention that uh, they, they are aware that the property prices are continue to rise in a sense and the investor activities are ticking up however um, they're not intended to do anything at this point but carefully monitoring the housing market is probably the word mm-hmm. so yeah that's a, that's the that's a way I read it in the May uh, 2021 um, minutes um, anything to add on that Jazz and John?
1: So rates not increasing. I, I think RBI is pretty defined on uh, the rate side that the, they, they don't really want to increase the rates over the next few years because it's obviously going to hurt the economy overall. Uh, and that makes sense. And also at the same time, um, just recalling what we discussed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast in our weekly wrap, that it kind of marries up with, the property cycle that we have been talking over the last uh, few episodes that the property cycle will probably last three to four years. And uh, RBA issuing a statement that rates probably for the next two, three, three to four years are going to be on hold. It kind of aligns up with, with, with our thoughts to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see rates increasing. Uh, yes, we have said that before there could be other measures in place just from an investor's perspective because we are starting to see investor demand shoot up which I'm sure we're going to discuss in a few minutes um, and maybe uh, that's the reason they will uh, put some other parameters in place to control the market but the rates I do agree completely for the people who are trying to so from thinking from an investor's perspective if they're trying to if they're thinking whether they should fix it or not there's nothing to really worry for that At least next two years I'll say uh, so if you want to fix uh, fix it accordingly, I guess um, is 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 the key message over here.
2: If the economy continues to perform well and uh, and we're starting to see wage growth, then could there be an opportunity for them to raise rates earlier than within the three years
1: time? Never say never, but yeah,
2: yeah, I think that's that's probably what the most consensus at the moment is. You know, if the if the economy is really recovering much better than what everyone expecting. And at one point in time, RBA may be forced to actually lift the rates um, to to kind of, you know, to to be able to mitigate that then. Yeah, so I think, yeah.
1: The challenge with increasing rates is obviously the the offshore money that will start to flow into the Australian market. And when Mm. that happens, obviously that is going to hurt the dollar. Australian dollar. Yeah.
2: If, so the current yeah, the currency. So changed. there's a
1: there's a domino effect that's going on, you can see, right? So yeah. if if uh they to to make sure that the damage that happened over the last two years because of COVID, to be able to recover that and um then go back to a normal trajectory of growth, I think um holding on to the rates for the next few years makes perfect sense. John?
2: Yeah, all. Well- Never say never, but yeah, keen to know what John thought.
0: Yeah, look, I, I agree with you guys. I think that, you know, rates are low. They, they've signal they're going to remain low. I thought what was interesting this week is, in, in conjunction to what the RBA came out and said, that, you know, they're, they're committed to these low interest rates. Um, Janet Yellen, who was the former uh, president of the Fed in the US and now the Treasury Secretary, uh, on Tuesday she came out and said, uh, that the market might be overheating, so we need to we, maybe we need to consider uh, putting interest rates up slightly. Interesting for a couple of reasons. One is she's not on the Fed anymore, so she doesn't control interest rates. So she's sort of speaking a bit outside her lane. But um, it was interesting for her to to come out and say, oh, this thing might overheat, and we might need to put might need to put rates up." Now she said that on Tuesday, and by Thursday she was walking it back. Oh, we're going to leave rates low, all that sort of stuff. Interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the first thing is, you, you asked whether you know uh, could rates go up if if this thing gets out of hand, and I think that obviously that's always possible. But what they're probably more likely to do is talk rates up rather than actually put rates up. So they're always going to keep this threat alive of the um, of rates going up without them ever actually needing to put them up. And and I think that there's going to be a lot of rhetorical Confusion that's going to start to come out for the next couple of months and years uh, that keeps the market second guessing what's going to happen to interest rates. So you're going to see, you know, Fed president of New York is going to say they're going up, and then Fed president of Dallas is going to say that they have to come down, and all these sorts of things are going to play off each other so that we're not we're left not quite knowing what's going to happen to rates. Um, But it's very the longer they stay this low, the harder it is to put them up because the the more debt that's accumulated. Um, the harder it is to serve service at high rates. Now, the whole the whole question of like, can we put rates up because things are looking so good? I find that very interesting. So, at, with interest rates effectively at zero, the analogy that I like to think about is that the the patients on life support, right? So, that you you, you can imagine a patient and the, the tubes are up the nose and the cannulas in the wrist and they're they being pumped full of morphine and full of all the, all this sort of stuff. So, the patient is on life support. The patient being the economy, of course, and we're talking about how great the economy is. If the economy was great, interest rates would be five percent, not zero. Um, so I think, th- you know, I, ju- I just think there are so many, so many smoke, so much smoke and mirrors. And I always think it's it's valuable to step back and just say, what's actually happening in the economy? I think what's happening in the economy is that the underlying economy is extremely unwell. The patient's on life support, and what we're doing is confusing inflation for economic prosperity. So house prices, you know, prices of goods and services going up, but I don't think we're getting wealthier. Yeah, interesting. Um, Just one thing to add uh, on what John
1: mentioned about Janet Yellen. Um, Just talking about increasing the interest rates, even though that was not in her uh, zone of competence, uh, because that's more of a job of a uh, uh, job of Jerome Powell, but her just talking obviously impacted the markets. Right, just talking about that. Right, forget about increasing the rate. And this is not even Jerome Paul talking, uh, Powell talking. talking about it. It's Janet Yellen talking about it. Right. So just that one uh, message in the media uh, obviously did impact the markets a lot. Uh, look, man. In 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 in, cr- in nutshell, I just don't know how they can increase the rates. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. We have talked that a lot on this podcast. Why they cannot, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can. So we'll watch something to watch. Eventually, over time, yes, uh, it will happen at some stage in the future. But talking about three to four years,
0: nah, no chance. The only time they can put rates up is with a new currency when they've reset the system. Like, they can't do it with, with you know, the US dollar. The US dollar is has an interest rate of zero and there's $28 trillion worth of debt. So, they, the, big, so the big question is, when is the new currency
1: going to <laughs> be in place and what is the new currency, right? Some people talk about CBDCs. Some people talk about Bitcoin. Some people talk about... Uh, Uh, What's the one? Um, SD, SD. SDR. uh, Yeah, that's SDR. Um, So we don't know. uh, But I agree, kind of. Uh, It's something that's on life support. So just keep pushing as long as you can. But uh, last time they tried increasing the rates, and that's probably the best example or or the closest that you can look at. The last time they tried to increase the rates a couple of years ago, uh, they have to drop it again and drop it harder. So yeah. good luck with it. Even if you do it, it's only going to be for a couple of years before you have to again go, you know what? There's negative rates out there, man. Negative rates. And we are talking about increasing rates. What drug is Janet Yellen
0: on? Like literally, what drug is she having? Mm. It, it's interesting you, you say that because... um let's say we fast forward 18 months or a year and they put interest rates up by 25 basis points, a quarter of a percent, you know, a listener to this podcast could say, ha ha, you know, jazz, John and David were wrong. They did put interest rates up, but 25 basis points, isn't a meaningful increase. They could put interest rates up three times and still put it up by less than a percent and then have to, and then have to backtrack. So, you, you know, you talk about the last time they put rates up, they put rates up eight, eight, Times I think so they put it up about nearly nearly two percent, and then they had to completely undo that plus more in about three months. (laughs) So so they, they can try to put rates up, and they will they it'll look like they're putting rates up until they have to completely reverse it. Yep,
1: they they might want to just set the tone in the market to control the property market by increasing the rates a little bit. 0.25 is not going to make any difference to anybody, right? But that's just just to set the tone. It's to job, It's it's in a, it's another way of doing job owning in the market to control the property market, right? So uh, good luck, Janet Yellen. Prove your point. Challenge you on this one. Real economy is somewhere else, and you guys are talking shit all the time
2: is going all the way out today (laughs) jesus i don't know what drug he's on today
1: (laughs) i'm just sick and tired of that i'm just sick and tired of bullshit news out there like this is janet yellen talking about it and then three days later she tries to cover herself up is that i mean
2: yeah
1: people
0: out there are trying to make a living doesn't matter sorry look janet yellen listens to this podcast so i'm gonna get a phone call uh (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, we'll have to edit that you.
2: John John will divert it directly to Jazz, that's for sure, mate. So, uh, yeah, it's all good. Let's move on from Janna yellow, mate. We've got much better topics to talk about then. Um, actually, another interesting one is that the, the data for investor lending in March has been released, um, and it was. About 12.7% higher from February, so we're looking at um, uh, the new mortgage commitments, uh, yeah, to a record of 30.2 billions in March, and that and basically, uh, in comparison to the February uh, data, uh, investor lending has has actually jumped up. So that's a positive sign um, that the investors are starting to come back into the market. Not just owner-occupiers, owner-occupiers are still strong at this point in time, but. Um, the the investors are, are starting to come back, um, and that raises an interesting question because we've also we've all been talking about you know is that going to trigger uh, uh, in order to kind of cap the housing market? Um, that's um, that's basically we uh, that that's where that's where you know whenever there's investor data coming back, I think the first the first media response is oh when is macro potential controls going to come back?
1: What are your guys <laughs> think at the
2: moment? Uh,
1: look, investor activity jumping up doesn't surprise us uh, at all, I think. Uh, generally, investors, shrewd or smart investors will wait for a confirmation of market to start moving before they enter into the market and start purchasing at the prices, Um but start purchasing at the prices that are still uh, re- relevantly good for the cycle of the property. So, uh, but as we said, we are in the first leg of this property cycle. So, uh, investors who know their game, they want to enter into the market now. Hence, we are seeing the investor activity jump up, along with the rate discussion that we just had. Rates aren't going anywhere and all that stuff. So, uh, if you're just in the first innings and uh, there's a lot of room left, uh, which surely there is, people will try and Make the most out of it, so so investors know how to play the game, and uh, the right ones are jumping in now, I guess.
0: Yeah, look, investors get FOMO too, don't they? I mean, you know, investors may primarily be looking for cash flow, but uh, when they can see the market going up at two and a half percent per month, and and that's uh, you know, in, in Sydney and Melbourne, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars in three to four months. Uh, it's, it's a lot of money. So so you know, investors want capital gains as well as uh, cash flow so they'd they'd be they'd be mad to sit this one out um will will apra intervene so uh, apra are are looking at this they're looking at how many investors are in the market they've they've flagged that they will potentially intervene with macroprudential regulations when the amount of investors gets to 30 percent, and at the moment it's in the low 20s so they wouldn't be thinking about intervening yet so watch watch the percentage of investors once it gets to 30%, then we'll probably get some sort well, of risky lending,
2: Basically, which is also a main signal from yeah. RBAs. Um, basically, you know, they're monitoring in terms of any high LVRs, um, high interest-only loan ratios. Um, those are the indicators of risky lendings. Um, and if 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 there's if those seems like it's going to get start to get out of control, then I'm sure we'll see something like uh, back in about 2016 when APRA put lending a curve, put the curve on. So, um, yeah. Okay. I think that's a really good point. That's oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, David. Um, at least there won't be any shock to the market in terms of quality of lending, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's. it's I think it's all cool to do with the, with the quality and... You know, we we do this as a broker, we do this in, in, in and out. We know that all the banks fine-tuning in terms of the assessment rates only benefiting the owner-occupiers, not necessarily benefiting the investors, especially investors with multiple property portfolios at the moment, they are still struggling to be able to continue to grow that, which is a very different story back in 2015, 2014 and 2015, when there's no such issue. Um, so you know, the current place, the, the current limits already put in place for investors are uh, um, as you said, yes, has eased a little bit over the last couple of years, but it hasn't given them that room to be able to grow aggressively. And as such, you know, I don't think we're going to be seeing that much of a risky lending um, that's beyond the norm or what's what's being under control. So, anyway, so I think it's a pretty healthy and robust lending system that we're currently seeing. Um, having said that, you know, there's elements around, I guess responsible lending uh, that they've been talking about scraping that um, how that will impact the lending standards uh, is yet to be confirmed uh, towards probably what end of the month. I think they're going to have another Senate's going to have another meeting on that. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll watch closely on that side of things for everyone.
1: Mm. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. So um, apart from that, mate, the one of the biggest topics this week is all about inflation and hyperinflation. So, what do we have? We've got. Um, <laughs> this is funny enough, actually. Uh, we talked about hyperinflation a few episodes back. I remember that was when um, uh, the uh, the author of The Big Short uh, started calling out that hyperinflation is coming. Michael
1: Michael Burry, his name.
2: Michael Burry. That's it. That's it, mate. Sorry about the bad memory here. Um, So are we heading into a transitory hyperinflation as per Bank of America's statement? Gents, this is probably a bit beyond my capabilities. So um, I'm very, very keen. Actually, let's start off with John this time. John, what are your thoughts? I
1: don't know what transitionary means, John, over here. I
2: was going to actually ask, like, what exactly does that mean first? John, come on, give us a blunt Explanation on so, what that
0: means. G- g- great minds thinking miles, keyword, I was going to ask. Keyword is blunt. <laughs>
2: right, right. For more newbie like me, <laughs> which Post-class. hasn't done economic, hasn't passed John Camino's economic one hundred and one. <laughs> professor John <laughs> Camino's economic one hundred and one. Please give us a, a, a very very. <laughs> don't
0: know what that means. Eh? So you like the life support analogy. So, look, I was going to ask you the same thing. I was going to say, what the hell is transitory hyperinflation? Hyperinflation is when you mismanage the currency and, uh, uh, and you redistribute wealth around people without, hopefully, without them noticing. Like when you put tax rates up, people know who's being redistributed away from and to. But when you do it via inflation, um, you can't tell who's who's benefiting and who's losing, uh, yeah, what the hell is transitory um, hyperinflation? Um, presumably, Weimar Germany had a, a, a transitory uh, hyperinflation uh, okay. where they, they mismanaged Reichsmark and then uh, put a lid on it after uh, everyone had been wiped out. How long before the hyperinflation? So, uh, I'd, Yeah, I'm not sure when they said it, w- it was, but they said it was soon. And uh, inflation's the talk of the town at the moment.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know what transitionary means over there. What What are they trying to say that the people who, sorry, I'm thinking out loud here, but the people who own wealth uh, will, will benefit out of this. So it's and it's after that transition is over, will
0: work something out. Yeah. it's It's a brief temporary period of, of, you know, currency debasement rising prices. So the way it will look like to us is if they say property prices, we're going to allow property prices to run up 25% per year, and we're going to allow that to happen for two years. And then we're going to come in and raise rates. So but why? But why? Well, well, see, this is, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, presumably... The only-
1: The only thing that I can think of is and it ties back to we have discussed this many times over the pod in the past is currency debasement. This directly relates to currency debasement. But what I don't get is why is that transitionary? I mean, currency debasement is not transitionary. Once it's done, it's done. So we're seeing that over the period of time. So all this period has been transitionary period. It doesn't make sense. It's currency debasement. Yes, that means all assets will go up in price whether it's uh, commodities or whether it's property or whether it's uh, uh, other things. Uh, but uh, but that's not transitionary. The currency debasement is permanent. It's not that the currency is going to uh, reaccrue its value uh, once this
0: period is over. So what what I think it means is that let, let's say inflation is just another name for currency debasement. So let's say the Australian dollar is at 70 cents at the moment. What they'll do is they'll say, we're going to let the Australian dollar go to 30 cents to the dollar. Right. And then we're going to peg it there or peg it there by various means. They're going to, they might start putting interest rates up there or stop talking, uh, stop talking it down. So that that's what a temporary, it's a reset in the value of the currency resetting it lower until they get to where they want it to be now what happens if you're the reserve currency and you're not pegging it against you know what does the us dollar peg it against well it pegs it against commodities and and you know the euro and other things so they will pick a spot if, against the the dixie or the the trade-weighted us dollar and devalue it and then stop devaluing it but but a lot of damage happens and there's a big reshuffle in wealth when that happens
1: well, is it really a reshuffle? Because that means that
0: if you're holding the assets, you just get richer. Yeah. So where's the reshuffle happening? Well, it's being, being reshuffled away from savers. Oh, so right. You, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so if, you, if you've got like a million dollars in the bank, who, who has that? Uh, if you're a big saver uh, and you, you, you have currency but no assets, you're poorer by the amount of the devaluation. I think the, the hyperinflation
1: uh, Bank of America coming out and talking about hyperinflation uh, is a big deal
0: uh, using the word transitionary doesn't fit. Yeah. My favorite lie is the CP lie. Uh, I, I mean, there's no more useless data point than the, the CPI. It's um, you, you know, if they, because it justifies lower rates. When if the, if they can say, there's no inflation because they've stripped everything that's meaningful out of the measure. Um, they can keep rates really, really low. So even even um, the CPI is a, is a basket of consumer goods, but even then it doesn't. It excludes energy because it's volatile, mm. and food because it's volatile. So you're just left with electronics and t-shirts. Um, and the other thing is, that, you know, if you've got property prices going up at fifteen percent and they can in the same breath say that there's no inflation it just means that they don't measure inflation with uh, asset prices so that's all that means so it's a, it's a terrible lie that we tell ourselves that, that you know that there are there's no inflation and i think that people are onto it because people are going out with fomo trying to buy real estate to protect themselves from the inflation that they know is there and that they know the cpi doesn't capture mm-hmm
2: or any other assets, not just property, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Shares, cryptocurrencies, anything that can offset basically the debasement of our currency. Um, mind you, John, there are people who does have $1 million in the banks. I've seen them. <laughs> and they're looking to purchase properties at the moment because yeah. they know the money's not working very, very hard and they keep losing value every day. So,
1: Do you have the bank details?
0: <laughs> 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 but, but interestingly, that that's a good point. There are people with lots of money, and they tend to be older people. So, inflation is a um, so generally speaking, old people are rich, young people are poor. Uh, old people save, young people uh, invest. Right? It's kind of it's kind of the the life cycle. So when we when we um, you know pinch from savers and redistribute to de- to debtors, you're actually kind of it's a bit of an intergenerational thing where you're taking wealth from older Australians and transferring it to younger people. And in a democracy, you can kind of get away with something that that's not particularly moral, um, but because the, the young people are the the, the more active voters and more active that they, um, they tend to get away with that sort of stuff.
2: Funny enough. I know jazz, you've, uh, you, you've shared with, uh, with the team, um, 40 years ago, the Maccas prices, right so that's still a bit of fun game so we know we know that 40 years ago a big mac so this is 1970s a big mac cost 65 cent It's 40 years ago roughly roughly right mm-hmm. that's have a guess 40 years from today so we're talking about say 2060 how much would a big mac cost at that time assuming that we're still using we're still using the current debased currency Okay, um, so we how much would it be?
1: So we're not uh, going by the CPI inflation; we are going by the real inflation, basically. Uh,
2: by the real inflation,
1: uh, twenty sixty, you said?
2: Yeah, let's say forty years. Because okay, so that's back right. So let's say, for example, a Big Mac today costs what, say, four um, bucks, and sixty-five cents. So forty years ago was sixty-five cents. So that's roughly about seven times.
1: Yeah, so- across forty years. So can we make it 30 years? So just to make sure all of us are still alive and we can make this? <laughs> hey,
2: this podcast will still be here 40 years later, and your son will be listening to it and he will be able to say that you
0: uh-huh. are so wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just making a just make a wild guess, you know. Like if we're looking at the past, right? Mm-hmm. And now that's inferred to the future. So, you know, in the 70s, Big Mac was 65 cent. Let's say today, 40 years later. It was about seven times, roughly seven times ish. Okay, so let's say for example, if it's four bucks per Big Mac, what would that be in?
1: Nineteen point (laughs) nine (laughs)
2: five. That's pretty accurate. Why is it (laughs) nineteen point nine
1: five (laughs) though? I don't want to make it twenty; otherwise, it will look expensive.
2: Big Mac should be point six sixty four point nine five cents back in the day, shouldn't it? Rather than sixty five cents. <laughs> <laughs> using good. that logic, okay. So nineteen point nine five, John.
0: What do you? Oh, it'd be between thirty and thirty five dollars a Big Mac. Oh, there you go. Did you say sorry? Did you say thirty years or forty years? Forty years. Yeah, th- between thirty and thirty five dollars. Can Big we score some Big Mac now? That <laughs> <laughs> one. I'm hungry now, and as, as the uh, fattest of the three of us, uh, uh, you know, this is—you've got me on my favorite topic.
1: <laughs> but
0: I think I think the important thing is
1: basically just looking at that picture that we have got in front of us: Big Mac, sixty-five cents back in nineteen seventies. It was right, David. Um, uh, that tells you the inflation, man. <laughs> that tells you what the inflation is. Oh, I mean that's that's at, the, yeah. that's, at the, that's at the simplest level cut through all noise just look at that one picture that's it
2: totally totally you know that's uh the, I can I cannot find a better way to explain um that that concept much better
1: so um and, yeah. and, and in the same picture the the coffee is roughly 15 cents uh in the last 3 months the coffee prices has uh gone up by 30 cents or something so
2: mm-hmm. to tell you what it is Regular or small, with soya milk, with uh, extra shots, with uh, <laughs> it just says coffee. <laughs> but yeah, I was. Well,
0: you know, I think Jazzy mentioned lumber is up two hundred percent. Lumber being you know timber that goes into houses. I, I was listening to something the other day where the guy in the US was saying he's trying to get a he's trying to get a house built and he could get a he, he couldn't get a quote that the builder could commit to. Um, The builder would only commit to labor costs. He couldn't commit to building material costs. And, uh, you know, good luck building a house now. It's probably going to be 30% more expensive.
1: Actually, that's Mm -hmm. a really good point. I mean, we always think more from a land perspective. Think about the construction cost that's going to go up. And, uh, yeah, the price over the last uh, how many months? Uh, I'm just looking at, sorry, on the fly. Uh, Since September 20, the price has gone up by roughly about, So that's September 20, uh, has gone up by 80%, 85%. And since March crash, it has gone up by
2: 550%. Soon we'll be be hearing, um, you know, I just try to build my house and my builders quoted me about a million dollars to build a, uh, you know, a a very standard vanilla house and single level that kind of stuff, just because of the construction cost, material cost has gone up so much.
0: Mm -hmm. here's the message I think that the message is that if a Big Mac can go up seven times in um, in you know a couple of decades and that's not the most noticeable cost in the in the economy but people talk about real estate a lot more uh, around the barbecues and around the dinner table we talk about real estate but we don't talk about Big Mac prices right so the message I think in here is is real estate really that expensive when everything is going up so if, if real estate's gone up sevenfold in the last 30, 40 years and Big Macs have gone up sevenfold in the last 30, 40 years, then all real estate is doing is maintaining its, maintaining its value compared to other goods in the economy. And that this is just inflation. No one's getting richer. That's just... Uh,
2: You're using Big Mac as the baseline. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. it's a consumer good. It's a consumer good, and all so it's not entirely comparable. Yeah. But, but if if real estate was going up, uh, you, you know, d- d- increased tenfold in the last forty years, and Big Macs was still sixty-five cents, we'd say that there's a problem in the real estate market. Yeah, but we're that—that's. we're not saying that,
1: right? But do people really talk about real estate on barbecue these days? I think it's all about cryptocurrency, some some shit coin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Be educated. Be educated to a degree, isn't it? So, but speaking of property, John, what's been happening around property um, this week?
0: Yeah, look, uh, I mean, pro- property still going really well. There's a lot of uh, th- there's a lot of um, I'll go through some data, but there is a lot of uh, talk in the media that the steam is coming out, and so I'm going to go through some numbers to illustrate just how uh, how the, the steam has come out of the, the property market. But suffice it to say, I don't really buy into the narrative. So, um, so f- for these are the monthly um, monthly growth statistics across a couple of the major capitals. So Sydney was up two and a half percent. Melbourne was up 1.3% in the month, right? So annualized, the, these are huge numbers. Brisbane was up 1.7%. Adelaide 2%. Um, Perth 0.8 of a percent uh, and Canberra 1.9%. Actually Darwin was the best performer at 2.7. Uh, if we go to the, it, so so what what we're seeing is over the shortest periods of time the quarter maybe year to date sydney is the best performing market easily right so um sydney at 2.4% is is nearly double what melbourne did um as the most comparable capital city and even more than brisbane uh if we switch to the annual numbers though the sydney and melbourne kind of moved to the bottom of the pack and the best performing uh capitals are darwin and um and brisbane Darwin and and um, oh, hang on, sorry. Darwin, Darwin and Canberra. Yeah, yeah, in Canberra. So, uh, so, so there's a bit of a shift. I mean, you know, as the year progresses, Sydney is probably going to move up that uh, leaderboard. Melbourne's the 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 laggard, which is interesting. I would have thought Melbourne would be doing okay, but um, Melbourne's lagging a bit. Maybe Jazz can speak to that. But you know. Broadly speaking, nationally, capital cities are moving up at 1.8, let, let's say 2% per uh, month. And that's coming, that's with the steam coming out. So annualised, that's 24% per annum. This is where we m- might be talking about transitory inflation. So, you know, 2% per month, 24% a year. You know, it's, 2021 is going to be a big year uh, for real estate. Um just one other observation: the rents are starting to pop back up now as well. The if we look at um, rental demand, that is up, um, and it's particularly tight in Darwin, Darwin and Perth. The markets are very, very tight there. Um, the ch- change in rents in Darwin is seventeen percent, and the change in rents in Perth is fifteen percent. Um, the only the only market where rents aren't Still aren't rising is Melbourne, um, and Sydney's just sort of coming off a very low base. So rents are starting to come up as well, and I'm I'm guessing that first home buyers are starting to be priced out again. So they're they're not transitioning into to buying mm. anymore. But markets going uh, markets going well. Um, l- let me just just wrap up by saying, you know, when we talk about the steam coming out of the market, it's it's true depending on what your baseline is. So if the baseline is March, where Real estate prices were going up at nearly four percent in the month. Then going up by two and a half percent is relatively uh, relatively slow. But in a, a normal market, over long, long periods of time, real estate goes up at about half a percent per month. So at two and a half percent, we're still the, the market's still rising about five times faster than it normally would in a normal market. So market's still hot, uh, but it's not as uh, crazy as it was in March. I guess is the message. So just to add one thing to that, this is the, the
1: period that we are living in is a COVID normal period. Let's not forget mm-hmm. the immigration that's missing and the students that are missing, right? If you were to go back to fully normal, I think this number would be much higher. And whenever that happens, whether it's later this year or next year, uh, I think there will be a shock in the market at the time, and that's that's uh, which probably is two years away. Uh, so
0: and that marries up with the cycle itself. Yeah, yeah. There's probably two phases to this bull market. There's going to be the phase which is just easy money, right? So low interest rates, and that'll get us I don't know a year or two into the into the bull market. Reintroduce immigration, uh, and essentially what that means is reintroduce renters, and we 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 go back into phase two. Yeah, Um, it's hard to know when that's going to be. Though,
1: likes of India, UK, where people are just sick of the whole situation, they'll be like, "What other countries? uh, uh, What other countries are option?" And Australia, obviously, relatively, is a very safe bet. Uh, When they start to bring money, which is the euros or the wealthy. Uh, Asians, uh, there will be a certain demand in the market. I think the existing demand has pretty much been sucked out, which is the first home buyers. So we are seeing a bit of a calm. When the full demand returns, which is the normal normal, uh, things will change again.
2: Yeah, a lot of it comes down to affordability, isn't it? I think there's definitely that that data. That data reflects a lot of uh, potentially first home buyers starting to pour out of the market, just because you know after months and months of searching, it's uh, keep on constantly getting outbid on the auction, and to an extent, people are just going to throw their hands up. So,
1: I mean, the easiest way to explain it is probably the international money is missing at the mm-hmm. moment. So, uh, from around the globe, when that starts to come into the market, we'll see uh, some. Uh, that could be the games. second, that could be the second, second, second job. kind of thing. Yeah, why, well, is Melbourne,
2: why is Melbourne so low? Jazz, hmm. would you uh, what do you reckon? Um, people exiting the city?
1: So think, Sorry, John, I yeah, I think the my two or three best guesses will be is one with the way whole COVID situation was handled here. Uh, that's got a very minor impact, but it is an impact. Yeah. Two is Melbourne is. L- lot more dependent on immigration and students compared to all the other states Mm. Um, so international market has got a decent impact so uh, all this time when the airlines are shut and the international money cannot arrive I think is making a bit of a dent in the market but having said that it's still doing pretty good so but that's the only reason I can think of loud
2: would that be the would that be the market to buy in at the moment because uh, of all that reasons.
1: I will still stick, stick to
0: our predictions that we did, I think, late last year. I was just going to say, anecdotally, I can say that there's been some, uh, it's some sort of cooling in the market. And it's it's actually not that there's any le- fewer buyers out there. It's just that the, the expectations of the sellers have, have gone right up. So if they don't get their price, things will start to pass in. But they're, Expectation The vendors' expectations are very, very high at the moment. So everyone thinks that their pro- properties are going to go way over, and some secondary properties aren't getting their numbers. And the, that—that's you know, in a super, super hot market, anything sells. But but some of the these are passing in. But that's just because of high vendor expectations. Mm-hmm. That and is just, a good point. Mm-hmm. Just, just one one small thing. I've got in front of me the gross rental yields per mm-hmm. capital city. So let's okay. just do. Let's just do Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. Um, what, what do you think the, the gross rental yield is in Sydney? For houses? Units? Well, it's, it's both. It's, it's both. a blend. Yeah. Average out
2: 2.5. David? I was going to say, I was going to guess around 2.5 as well, but I reckon might be even lower now, 2%. Wow.
0: Wow, 2.7. 2.7. 2.7. Okay. Yeah. It's super low. What about what about Melbourne? Uh, average out somewhere between two to two and
2: a half. I say three.
0: Mm, David, you are good at this? So 2.9. 2.9. Finally, Brisbane. What's the gross rental yield for all dwellings in Brisbane? 4.5? Four ish? Uh, well, you, you, you're both, uh, both right. 4.2. <laughs> <It's> a <bit laughs> different. It? There's a lot of daylight between Sydney Melbourne and Melbourne and the other capitals. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: What about Canberra? Actually, I'm interested. 4.3.
0: Okay.
2: Canberra's doing pretty well, too.
0: Yeah. They're, yeah. they're mostly in the low fours, with the exception of Darwin, which is 6.1. Yeah, right, all right. Anything else, Jim? That's it. And for me, awesome.
1: Play safe, stay safe. Uh, there's a lot of crazy markets out there right now, whether it's uh, share market or commodities or crypto, real estate, obviously. So just be very careful. That's it. And we'll see you guys next time. Chargers, name it. Cheers.